Good morning, going to go to church. Good to see each and every one of you here today. Uh, this morning, I want to do sermon number three in a sermon series entitled "Fear Less." I think my objective is probably clear. By the time this series is over, I want us to uh, have overcome uh, some of our fears. I can't promise you that when this series is over, you'll be fearless. But I think I can promise you that you will fear less. Now, thus far, we've learned that uh, fear imprisons. And we've learned that the antidote for fear is courage. And the key to courage is faith. Faith is the key to our courage. And to unlock our courage, we've got to believe that God is present, God is faithful. And God is able. And here's the way I want us to word it. And maybe you need to write this down, put it on a post-it note, and keep it where you can see it. And this is what I want you to remember. I guess out of this entire series, remember this. God is with me. He's going to help me. And he can do anything. That's not wishful thinking. Those are based on three biblical facts that I shared with you last week. You need to remember this. God is with me. He's going to help me, and he can do anything. When we believe those facts, it unlocks our courage. Now, we learn these things in a story about the 11 disciples. And this morning, I want to switch stories. I want to tell you a story that's found in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 17. We're actually going to read a couple of verses together. But before we do, kind of let me set the stage and tell you what is happening. Uh, there's a battle brewing. The Philistines, arch enemies of the Israelites, have mustered their forces together for war. They have made their way to the valley of Elah, where they're occupying a hillside overlooking the valley floor. Saul, king of Israel, has countered by putting together his army. They've made their way to the valley of Elah, and they're occupying a hill opposite the Philistines. And the next morning... It's D-Day. They're going to uh, confront each other. There's going to be a major conflict. I believe if you had been in the Israelite camp the night before, it would have been a buzz with activity. I think if you listened carefully, you could hear the grinding wheels as they were sharpening spearheads, one after another. Bring me yours. Sharpening swords, one after another. If you listened carefully, I believe you could have heard thud, thump. Thud, as men were taking target practice with their javelins and spears. They were brushing up on their skills, getting ready for the battle tomorrow. Uh, I believe that, that in, I believe you could, you could hear steel against steel clanking together as off in the distance there were sword fighting scrimmages taking place. Somewhere locked away was the brain trust behind the Israelite army, and I'm sure they were talking over things like strategy. And kind of mapping out if you could lead this group. And at this particular time you're going to flank them. And, you know, and then I'm going to give you the signal. I want my archers here. And I believe they're, they're scoping all this out. If you had gone across the valley into the Philistine camp. I believe you would have seen something a lot different. I believe you would have seen men sitting around playing checkers. Uh, perhaps quite a crowd gathered around the horseshoe pits. And they're, they're playing horseshoes and competing and laughing and. You know, maybe over here is a group, and they've already put on their pajamas, and they're watching the NBA playoffs, and 
The brain trust, if you had seen what they were doing, they were smoking cigars and, and playing poker. You know, these guys were not worried. You know why? They already put together their strategy. The strategy was pretty simple. Uh, we're going to send one man down. We're going to send one man out, and he's going to challenge Israel's best man. And we're going to let them go one-on-one, head-to-head, and whoever wins that one-on-one conflict, well, uh, they win the war. And it's going to be that simple. Now, this was a military strategy. So it wasn't new to this particular day or setting. It was something that was used. And so what were the soldiers worried about? They've already picked their guy. wasn't me, so I'm not sweating it. And you know, nobody was worried because not only did they have the strategy, they picked out the man, and he was referred to as a champion. In other words, it wasn't his first rodeo. He had done this before, and he had never lost. And so they got their strategy all to put together. It didn't involve anybody but this guy and his shield bearer. And the guy's never lost, so they're not sweating about this. This is, you know, it's, we can't lose. Morning comes, and I believe that the Israelite camp was a lot like a locker room at an NFL football game. I believe, man, they were beating each other's pads, grabbing each other by the face mask, and screaming at each other. I believe they were all jacked up. They're fastening everything down. They're putting on their leather gloves. I mean, they're socked up. And they let out the war cry. They came down from their camp into the valley and formed their ranks. I believe the Philistines were a lot more relaxed. I believe some of them still had on their PJs. Uh, some guy had hit the snooze bar six different times, and they're just kind of wandering around like, who cares? You know, after all, there's only two guys that matter, the shield bearer and our champion, Goliath. And, you know, I'm, I can almost hear, I can see them kind of lackadaisical, meandering down the hill, and I can almost hear one of them say, Hey, man, you going to wear your armor today? And one of them going, I don't think I'm wearing any armor. Stuff's hot. They go down and they form their battle line. They're looking at the Israelites. The Israelites are them. I believe the Israelites are doing some real trash talking. I believe they're telling them what they're going to do to them. I believe, I believe Israelites are pointing out different Philistines. That's what's going to happen to you. And your mama, too. And all of a sudden, out comes this guy. He's carrying a huge shield. It was a shield big enough to protect a normal man. And he comes out first. He's carrying the shield out. And then behind him comes the Philistine's choice. And he struck an imposing figure. He lacked, uh, best calculation I had, he lacked three inches being as tall as a basketball goal. Huh? And he wasn't gangly or wiry he was well filled out you say how do you know the jacket he wore weighed at least 125 pounds you know what you build yourself up if you're changing your jacket in and out two or four times a day you're pumping yourself up so he wore a bronze helmet had bronze greaves that protected his legs he had a javelin over his shoulder spear on his side and he had this huge spear the tip of his spear weighed at least 15 pounds. And the Bible said that the, the, the staff of the spear was as big as a weaver's rod. You say, Ronnie, what does that mean? I don't have a clue what that means. I'm t- I'm, uh, to me, I think it means that it was big. Now just imagine next time at your gym grabbing a, a 15-pound dumbbell, maybe a 25-pound dumbbell, and having the strength to throw that thing for distance, speed, 
and accuracy. This dude could do it. Now, when the Israelites saw him, their mood shifted. There was no more trash talk. There was concern. I don't think there was any talk. Goliath walked out there where they could see him very clearly. And he said, here's the way this is going to go down. Send your best man over. Send your best man over, and he and I are going to go one-on-one. If he kills me, everybody else is going to be your slave. And probably including their families. However, if I kill him, you're all going to become our slaves for life, and, and, and it probably included their families. So what do you think they said? How do you think they reacted to this challenge? Well, look with me. First uh, Samuel 17, 11, it said, When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Fear drove out every other emotion, every other thought. They were dominated now by fear to the degree that the, this deeply shaken means that physically they were trembling. That's not good when you're standing in the face of your enemy, right? And apparently these guys ran away. They ran from the battle lines and went right back up into their camp. Now, that would have been bad enough. Let me tell you what happened for the next 40 days. Look at 1 Samuel 17, 16. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted. And some of you turkey hunters are getting a good visual here. The champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. Listen, it wasn't just a bad morning. Uh, that afternoon... He came, they all did, they, apparently this is what had happened. The Israelites would run in fear, go back to the camp, and somehow or another talk themselves into, I think we can do this. I think we can pull this off. I don't think he was 10 feet tall. I think he was more like seven. Ralph, remember that time you beat up that big guy down at the bar that night? I'm t- I believe, I believe that, that that guy was every bit as big as this. I believe you could take, they get themselves all pumped up. You know, they dress out. They let out the war cry. They run down to the battle line. And then out comes Goliath again and says, hey, any one of you, any one of you, come on. Let's do this. Let's settle this. And you know what they would do? Run again. Every morning they would run back to the camp. They'd get themselves psyched up, come back down in the afternoon, you know, run back to the camp. This went on for 40 days, morning and night. How demoralizing must that have been? Then came day 41, and a new guy showed up. His name was David. David was uh, described in the Bible as a boy. He was probably a teenager. He had auburn hair. He had rosy cheeks. He loved to write poetry, and he played the harp. Huh? David showed up. He didn't show up to fight. He showed up with some supplies. He was running an errand for his dad. And, uh, but, and he's there. his three older brothers are part of Saul's army, and they're there fighting, right? <laughs> yeah, real. get real. They're not fighting. But he's supposed to check on them and take word back to his dad. He shows up. About the time the Israelites are shouting the war cry, and they're running down the hill, he drops off supplies, and he runs down with them. He's going to you know, get to see his famous Israelite army in action. Go down, out comes Goliath, he shouts his usual defiance, everybody turns and runs. David goes back and, and one of the guys even looked at David and said, did you, see, did you see the size of that guy? He said, King Saul has an 
uh, an initiative in place. And this is what he said. Any man that would go take out that giant, he's going to give him a, a big fat paycheck. He's going to give him his daughter's hand in marriage and exempt him from paying taxes for the rest of his life. So in other words, he's going to give you wealth, a woman, and a way out of paying taxes, huh? And yet, nobody was motivated. So David said, well, this, I, David, I really, I, I hear that. I really don't understand how this has gone on as long as it has. Because, don't you understand something? He's defying the armies of the living God. I love the way he described God, the living God. And then he said, and what was that incentive plan again? Word got to David's older brother that your little brother David is inquiring about this reward. Well, it ticked him off. He flew mad. He goes up and he chews David out. And said, you self shall come just to watch a battle. That's all you do, trying to incite a battle. What was his, his name was Eliab. What was Eliab's problem? Eliab was a big, strapping brother, the older brother. And really and truly, he should have taken care of the giant on day one. And now his little brother, the poetry-writing, harp-playing brother, is about to put him to shame. Word gets up to King Saul. We got a guy interested. Saul's kind of going, Finally, one of these cowards has got the backbone to do this. Send him up to me. So I think he's expecting this seasoned warrior to show up. And he, you know, he, the soldier comes back. And he's got this teenage kid with him. Rosy-cheeked. Auburn hair. Huh? <laughs> Son, what, what qualifies you? I write a lot of poetry and I can play a harp like nobody's business. Can you, you, know, you know what he said? I think he saw. The look in King Saul's face like, are you kidding me? And you know the first thing, you know the first thing David said to Saul? And, and this is an actual quote from the Bible. He said, don't worry. You know what fear does? Fear worries. He said, don't you worry about that giant anymore. I'm going to go fight him. Now, now Saul obviously didn't have the spiritual gift of encouragement. You know what he said to David immediately? He said, don't be ridiculous. Huh? Now that'll get you psyched up, won't it? Now I'll go tell you, don't be ridiculous. He said, you don't have a chance of defeating him. He's bigger, stronger. He's got more experience. He's, he's armed to the hilt. He's got armor. Man, what are you thinking? You know what David said? Saul, calm down. Let me tell you a story. I know I don't look like much. You know what I do for my daddy? I watch his flocks. Now, well, there have been times where Lions slipped in and thought they were going to help themselves to one of daddy's sheep. Sometimes there were bears. And they'd grab them up a, a lamb and they would start away with it. And, and, here, and, and I would run them down. Don't know that I'd recommend that. He said, I chased them down. I jerked the lamb out of their mouth. Sometimes these lions and these bears turned on me. You know what I did? I caught them by the jaw. Not recommending that either. I would catch them by the jaw and take this shepherd's staff, you see, and I literally proceeded to beat them to death. And that hasn't happened once. It's happened often. He said, you know how? I mean, look at me. You know how? God is with me. He helps me. He can do anything. And the way I get this thing figured, the God who can help me 
kill lions and bears and stack them up like cordwood. He's going to help me kill this giant. I think God's going to mop up the floor with this giant and he's going to use me to do it. Saul conceded, said, okay, I'm going to let you give it a whirl. He said, let's get this boy some armor. He gave him his own armor. And it tells us what Saul, Saul had no intentions of going to the battlefield. I got armor and stuff's not going to be used. So, Now, Saul was a triple X long. David was a medium short. And so as he tries this stuff on, it's obvious I can't. He says, I can't do it. Let me do it my way. So he gets his shepherd's staff in his sling. And there's a stream there, and he picks up five smooth stones. Lynn asked me this week, she said, do you think that maybe he got five stones in case maybe there was a miss and he had to reload quickly? I said, no, further study reveals that Goliath had brothers. And I think David is thinking this, if they want a piece of me, I'll put them all in the ground. That's what I'll do. He gets his five smooth stones and he says, I'll be right back. I'll take care of this. Saul said, you go and may the Lord be with you. I'm not so sure that was a blessing I think that might have been the benediction. You know, the Lord be with you. Just moments away from ugly death here. So David walks away from the safety of the ranks and he's walking out. I believe Goliath is probably sitting there fighting sleep and somebody nudged him and said, You don't believe this man? They're sending somebody out to fight. He gets the shield, the shield bearer. He walks out there, you know, carrying that shield. And here comes Goliath. And, you know, Goliath, it gets closer and closer and he sees. It's a, it's a teenage boy. He has no armor. He has no sword. He has no javelin. He has no spear. He doesn't have a bow. He doesn't have arrow. It infuriated him. He yells at David, am I a dog that you're going to beat me with that stick? You come over here close aboard. I'm going to kill you and feed your carcass to the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. You're not going to believe what David did next. I'm telling you, the man was borderline crazy. Crazy with faith is what I think. He starts trash talking the giant. And he said, well, that is mighty big talk for a guy no better equipped for battle than you are. Look at you. Nice armor. Cool coat. Love the hat. Man, that spear, I'd like to get my hands on that and use it one day. Javelin, you know. He's pointing. Dad, you got your shield bearer. That's it? You've come to fight and, and that's it? Because you see, I come in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the captain of the armies of the Lord. And surely you understand that when you pick a fight with his boys, you've picked a fight with him. And Goliath, you didn't come to fight me today. You came to fight God. And I think a man who's going to fight God would be better equipped than you are. Here's the way it's going to go down. God's going to kill you, but he's going to give me the pleasure of doing it. And then I'm going to cut your head off. And he pointed to the rest of the Philistines. By then, can, you look, can you imagine what the Philistine guys were thinking? What have they given this young man? What, what is he on? He points to the rest of them, with his, I believe with his shepherd's staff. And he said, here's what's going to go down. All you guys back there, before the sun goes down, you'll be roadkill. The buzzards and the coyotes will be picking at your carcass tonight before this is all over with. Oh, this really made Goliath mad. So he picked up a little steam in his pace. He starts toward David. You know what David did? 
David broke into a run. If there's any chance at all you've never heard this story, I know what you're thinking. Thank God that that harpist, he was going to get killed, man. I'm so No, no, no. He wasn't running away. He started charging Goliath. I can hear one of his brothers lean to the other and say, I've been telling him for years to switch to decaf. Man, you've got to switch to decaf. It comes to a strategic point. He stops. He puts a stone in the sling. He begins to build velocity. Have you ever tried, you know, here's, here's Goliath and the shoe bear. I w- always wondered, what, what were they saying to each other when they saw David begin to build a lot? What do you say? What is he doing? I think he's going to throw a rock. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. He's going to throw a rock? I believe by that time David said, this is about right. He let half of the sling go, and here goes the rock. The shoe bear, I've always pictured him like a baseball catcher. You know, and, and I, that thing went by him so quickly, he didn't have a chance to respond. All he heard was, <laughs> he turns, and there stands Goliath. He's got a hole right here in his forehead. His eyes may have been just slightly crossed. <laughs> I believe Goliath is sitting there thinking, what just happened? And, and man, he starts to stagger. He, he, you know, the big spear goes to the ground, and the sword goes to the ground. He's staggering around, and face down in the dirt if you're the shield bearer it's just you and David standing there what do you say I'm thinking he leaned over to David and said you guys got any openings because I've been thinking about switching teams here now David already made a promise God's going to kill he's going to let me do it but I'm going to cut your head off David goes over picks up the last sword I believe he looked around all those jack legs lined up there. And I believe, I'm telling you, man, jaws were dropped. Nobody was making a sound. You know what he did? Wow. He decapitated him. And when he did, the Philistines' courage turned to fear. You know what fear caused you to do? Run. They ran. On the other hand, the Israelites' fear turned to courage. You know what courage motivates you to do? Charge. They lit into them. And the Bible kind of lays out a route. And all along this road, they slaughtered these men, fulfilling David's other prophecy. And that is, by nightfall, you guys will be roadkill. Now, while the fight's going on, you know what David did? Uh, David starts collecting memorabilia. I want that sword. I want that big hat. You know, I'm like a nice... I can put a plant in that or something, you know. I want that big hat. I want that armor. I want all this stuff. I got to think about how did he get that out of there? Must have went and got a big wagon, Burl. That's all I can. I got a big. He's loading this stuff up, and then he says, "I want that head." He gets Goliath's big old nasty head, and he takes it with him. Why? Why would you keep that? I think to remember something. I think to remember this. I don't worry about giants. I'll never worry about a giant because God is with me. He's going to help me. And he can do anything. Now, what's the lesson in this? The lesson is fear immobilizes. Fear is a weapon that immobilizes. In the first two sermons, we learned that fear imprisons. Ronnie, share with us, what's the difference here? I think they're very similar. But I think this, when fear imprisons us, keeps us from doing things we want to do 
When fear immobilizes us, it keeps us from doing things we ought to do. When fear imprisons us, we refuse to take advantage of opportunities. When fear immobilizes us, we refuse to fulfill responsibilities. Take these men, for example. They signed on to fight. They showed up at Elah to fight. They were trained to fight. They were responsible to fight. That's, those are the, respons- the responsibility they had. Were they fulfilling their responsibilities? Were they fighting? No. You know why? Because they were immobilized. What immobilized them? Fear did. Fear did. You know what they were afraid of? You say, afraid of the giant. No, they were afraid of failing in an effort to kill the giant. Because here's what it meant. Failing meant pain. Maybe some torture and some dismemberment. Failing meant humiliation. Dying a slow, painful death in front of all these soldiers. Failing meant great loss to his comrades and their families. And worst of all, to his own family. Fear immobilized them. What have you and I got in common with these Israelite soldiers? But one, we have responsibilities. The day we signed on as Christians, we accepted certain responsibilities. There are things God expects us to do. There are things he commands us to do. Now, there's a second thing we have in common with them. They had an enemy, and so do we. We have a common enemy called the devil. And you know what the devil wants for you and me? Pretty simple. Don't do what God wants you to do. That's it. Whatever it is that God wants you to do, the devil's going to try to talk you out of it. Don't do that. The devil's going to try to keep you from doing that. And the number one tool he uses is fear. You say, why? It's effective. Fear is so powerful it kept an entire army at bay for 40 days. And if it's that powerful against an entire army, it's that powerful against any one of us. Let me give you an example. You ever been sitting with uh, with a friend or a co-worker and and you knew they didn't go to church anywhere? And just, you're not the judge, I'm not the judge, we know that. But just based on things you'd heard them say or things you'd seen them do, you just came to the conclusion that they're probably not a Christian. So you're sitting alone with them one day and this still small voice inside your mind says, talk to them. Talk to them. Talk to them about Christ. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Ask them, have you ever accepted Christ? Explain to them. This is, I, think you, I think you really ought to consider this, and here's why, and this is what you... Explore, talk, start talking. Have you ever been in that situation? Has anybody ever been in that situation other than me? Golly, bum looks like there's one of us. Huh? Okay. You know, say, boy, this is a worthless ill. Well, when that voice is saying, talk, speak up, talk, you need to share, you need to talk about Jesus. Uh, doesn't another voice chime right in? And go, oh, I'd be careful about that. You never know how they're going to respond. They could get upset with you. They could become angry. They could lash out at you. You may lose their friendship. They may strike you off and say, well, I thought you were my friend, not just some kind of religious nut. 
they may talk to you or talk about you to others that you work with and next thing oh you're ostracized you may even be persecuted i'm telling you if you can talk if you want to but i promise you this you you'll regret the day that you opened up your mouth about this who do you think that is well that's our enemy the devil and what's he trying to do? He, if God's trying to get you to do this, the enemy's trying to get you not to. And here's his weapon. It's fear. Well, there's an antidote for fear. Courage. And on the Israelite side, there was one guy that appeared to me to have courage. And that was David. Where did his courage came from? He unlocked his courage through faith. You know what David believed? David believed with all of his heart. God is with me. He is going to help me. He can do anything. He mentioned twice. He described God as the living God. In other words, he's alive and well and he's among us. He even said uh, to, to, to Goliath, this battle is God's. God's going to, he's here to do the fighting. He said to Saul, God can do anything. Hey, listen, if God can handle lions and bears, he can handle this giant. He can do anything. David so believed this, that God is with me. He's going to help me. And he can do anything that he had courage. And you know what courage did? Courage charged the giant. Courage acted responsibly and said, Don't you think this is what God wants us to do? Sure it is. Well, I'm going to do it. And so once again, we see that faith is the key to courage. But there's another lesson here. If fear immobilizes and courage is the antidote to fear, and faith is the key that unlocks courage. What's the key to faith? What's the key to faith? Here's what I think. Focus is the key to faith. You got all these Israelites over here and all they feel is fear. What were they focused on? All of those guys that were afraid, what were they focused on? What, what was it they saw and nothing else? So Goliath. You got David over here. He has Courage, what's he focused on? Whom is he focused on? He's focused on God. Listen to him. You know, I mean, you didn't hear the Israelites talking about God. Boy, it seemed to be all David could talk about. He saw God. The other Israelites, they saw the giant. They looked at themselves. They, they kind of you know, and said, got their perspective from, what if I try this? You know what? He's going to cream me. David, on the other hand, sees the giant, but he sees God, and he's kind of measuring the giant up against God and said, there's no way this giant can win. And as long as they were focused on the giant, there's no way I can win. You know, uh, that, you know David looks at it and said, there's no way the giant can win. Look at God. Here's the deal. You want to have faith? You can't lose sight of God is with you. He's going to help you, and he can do anything. God has to become your focal point. You know how the enemy loves to create this fear in us? He puts blinders on us. And he tries to get us to live in such a way that all we see are the giants we face. Giant problems, giant challenges, giant enemies, giant battles. That's all we see. He, he tries to get us to live in such a way that we never see the fact that God is with us. He's going to help us, and he can do anything. So what do you do? Here, so here's what we got to do. we got to change that. we got to do something that enables us to stay focused on God, to keep an awareness in our mind. And so what do we do? Here's what I do. Let me tell you, I found a tool that helps me stay focused so that, you know, my faith stays strong and 
and, and, I, and I unlock my courage. You say, what is that tool? The Bible. Now, hang with me. I'm landing this plane. We've got five minutes. Listen, what are you going to do today? It's raining. You know, the best you're going to do is get a nap. You take a nap right now. Let me finish this out. <laughs> you know what helps me stay focused? The Bible. I shared with you the first sermon in 2014. I went away for a few days, and God said, you know, it's time to reboot your life. Just, just get away for a minute. And one of the things he said to me was, if you don't get your fear, anxiety, and worry in check, you're going to die before your time. You know how I responded to that? I got out my Bible. I started looking for every passage I could find that dealt with fear, anxiety, and worry. I started reading those passages, studying those passages, and reflecting on those passages. And I, and I got my journal out, and everything I was learning, I wrote that down. You know why? I can't afford to forget that. And guess what? Now, I'm sharing all those things with you in a series of sermons. I wrote them down. I can't afford to forget that. You know what else I did? Some of those verses, some of the verses I read, I thought, uh, i got to get that here. That's got to be with me every moment of every day for the rest of my life if I'm going to get a handle on this. And I shared one of them with you last week, Isaiah 41.10, where God said, So do not be afraid, for I'm with you. Do not be discouraged. I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Some of them I committed to memory. And, but you know, I'll tell you what else I did. How many of you have got the YouVersion app on your phone? Can I see hands? YouVersion app on your phone? Okay, listen. Let me tell you what some of you are going to do on this rainy Sunday afternoon. You're going to put that app on your phone. That is, single, that is the best app that was ever made, the, the YouVersion Bible app. Now, one of the things it allows you to do is bookmark verses, which means when you come to verses uh, that, that are significant, you want quick access to, all you got to do, I'm telling you what, three clicks, click, 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 and there's my whole library of verses that helped me combat fear, worry, and anxiety. They're there. Quick access. Why do you want quick access? They help me focus on the fact that God is with me. He's going to help me and he can do anything. I, I, let, me, let me read you just a few. Psalm 23, 4. I mean, it's right there, fingertip away. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, David said, I will not be afraid. Why? For you are close beside me. Not just beside me, but close beside me. Your rod and your staff, look at this, protect and comfort me. Look at Psalm 46, 1 and 2. David said, God is our refuge and strength. Always, always, he said, ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear. When earthquakes come and the mountains crumble in the sea. You getting that imagery? David said, listen, I'm so aware of God's presence and his faithfulness and his power that even if an earthquake comes and mountains begin to crumble down in the sea, I won't be sweating it. Psalm 121, 1 and 2, David said, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? No, no, no. He said, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And man, I love this psalm so good. Let's read one more verse. Verse 5, the Lord himself watches over you. I love that exclamation point. The Lord stands beside us as your protective shade. Listen to me. When you begin to feel fear, could be you've lost your focus. You need to refocus and I use the Bible to refocus because focus is the key to faith. Faith is the key to courage, and courage is the antidote to fear. You focus on God. You trust God. You know what you do? You'll start running from the giants. You'll start charging the giants. 
When you charge your giant, let me tell you what to expect. Expect God to slay your giant. And what would have been and could have been a horror story will be a story that you'll be telling your children and your grandchildren of the great victory that God won for you in this time of crisis that you faced. Focus is the key to faith. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this, that you'll help us not to be easily frightened, not to be people wearing blinders that lose sight of your presence, your faithfulness, and your help. God, there's something I want to stick fast in people's minds. I want them to uh, get this, know this, believe this, and use this. That you're with them. You're going to help them. And you can do anything. Uh, So that they don't forget it, lose sight of it, I pray. That they study the, the scriptures. That they will memorize some verses. That they'll bookmark some verses and have quick access to the word of God so that they can be reminded that they're never alone. You're always there, always faithful, always able. And to proceed, Lord, courageously in the direction of their giants. I ask it in Christ's name.